So today we're speaking on this subject of how to pray for healing and restoration. You can follow along in the version notes and they will be a help to you, I'm sure. No one can deny we live in confusing times. In just over a month's time, as a nation, we probably, maybe, will have left the EU. Who knows? That's the problem. No one knows. No one knows what the consequences of such departure will be. I will say this, though. I believe whatever happens in regard to the EU, the best days for the church are ahead of us. Hello? So don't be frightened by what's going in the world. I sense there's a revival in the air. And there's a hunger for prayer like never before. And we've prayed more than we've ever prayed before as a church. So something's going to happen great. And the church is not going to be the back end of something, but the head of something. So we're living in great days. Whatever happens with Brexit, we believe the church is the answer and the gospel to this world. And so we will keep on going whatever we look for. I think it's also accurate to say in so many areas of our world, there is a moral vacuum there is a moral poverty in leadership. Seemingly every day, some fresh scandal, some revelation of people we trust and people we've put into places of authority or people of influence, even if that's in the ugly celebrity world, if I can say it like that. But people do put their trust. Even, let's be honest, the church. What we hear in the news that's going on even in these days of repentance and of systems that are being put in because of past misdemeanors. Racism, sexism, homophobia, pedophilia, nationalism, xenophobia continue to run amok in our world. The word or the words that the Bible used is old version is probably quite accurate. Gross darkness. Gross darkness. In a word we need healing. Does anyone agree? The nations need healing. Governments need healing. Families need healing. Schools need healing. Individuals, we need healing. Thank God, thank God we have the gift of prayer so that whatever is going on in our world we can always do something about it and I am my inclination is always towards activism I think any leader should be but you know without prayer activism can lead to nothing so it's not just about activism prayerfulness is essential because barrenness can still be the result of activism. There's a lot of people who are active. So we always have something we can do to help our world's sickness, to help our family's sickness, to help my sickness, because prayer is always there. We can always pray. About 3,000 years ago, God gave a promise to King Solomon. And that promise that was given to Solomon still stands today. And it's going to come up on the screen. And I want us all 
to read it out together and to believe God that this promise still applies. Here it is, if my people, let's see if we can read it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. What a great promise. What good news. Now I want to point out a few things first before we do a bit of a deep dive into this verse. The first thing is this. This is not a promise to everybody. This is a promise from God to His people. If my people. This is a promise to the people of God. Will all those that are the people of God please say amen? It's you and me. No, it's not just you and me. There's the people of God all over the world. We know that. But this is a promise to God's people. And God's people are those that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus one time was being pressed by a crowd around him. And in the crowd were his mother and his brothers. And somebody said to him, Lord, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus said, those who do the will of the Father are my mothers and brothers, my family. So if we do the will of the Father, then we are in the family. And the will of the Father is always believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're a believer, you're in the family. Welcome to the family. And together, if my people will call on the name of the Lord, there's a promise that goes with it. I also want you to notice this. It says, if my people who are called by my name. We've talked quite a bit about the name. At the end of the service, I hope that we'll pray for some sick people. We will pray in the name of Jesus. We said last week how the name is the character of God, the reputation of God. We can, we can pray in confidence if we pray in the name. He says, if my people who are called by my name. In other words, they're not ashamed of the name. They're not embarrassed to be called a people of the name. We are a people of the name of Jesus. This week, Angie and I were with some leaders from the nation, national leaders. And one of the guys there leads an organization, you'll have heard of it, called Open Doors. And they help and they profile issues to do with the persecuted church. We're not yet persecuted in this, in this nation. We're not. Not when you read what other people go through. We may be mocked, vilified in some way, but we're not persecuted. It was safe for you all to come here today. But he was, I was invited, and I couldn't do it because of the dates, but to go to Egypt to see, visit with some persecuted Christians there in Egypt. And he's just come back. And we're talking to him, and he said, it's worse than ever. The persecution is greater than ever. But he also added this. The growth of the church is greater than ever at the same time. Hello? So persecution doesn't equal death and dying of the church. May of individuals, but the church continues to thrive. And he said, the church still grows, but the persecution is still very real. Are you ashamed of the name? Does everyone in your workplace know you're a follower of Jesus? I don't mean you have to go in with a placard, repent for the end is nigh. 
but do you speak up? See, sometimes remaining silent can mean you're not confessing the name. We just can't be silent. This is this, the Bible says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Come on, let's speak up. Let's stand up. Our world needs us. Your workplace needs us. Your school, your college, your playground needs you. We are a people of God. And if we call on the name, he promises to do something. And that's the third thing. I want to point this out. If my people who are called by my name, and then he gives four conditions. Four conditions that are there before the promise can come into place. In other words, there's a premise before the promise. And there's four of them. There are conditions. I'll do this, God says, but here are the conditions. Here are the premises before the promise. Here are the premises before the healing and restoration. And I don't know what you need today. Maybe your marriage needs restoring. Maybe your family needs restoring. Maybe your dream needs restoring. Our nation certainly needs restoring. Maybe you need health restored or your finances restored. But there are some conditions that are attached that I believe we can fulfill. They're not impossible. That can result in a blessing from God like we've never seen before. And here are the four areas. I may just get through one because I believe the one is the key to the rest of them. Number one, I admit I'm not in control. I'll put it another way. I'm humble. I'm humble. Humility. I say God is God and I'm not. God is in control and I'm not. So the first condition is this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Humility is the first step to healing. I don't approach God in my prayers with arrogance. I don't approach God with demanding or with pride. I approach God with humility. And here's what I want to point out. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to pray for humility. Hello? Nowhere are we called to call on the name of the Lord and say, please humble me. Why? Because we're meant to do it ourselves. Humility is meant to be a DIY job. And I think the reason we shouldn't pray for humility is that God will hear us and it could be humiliating. Hello? I didn't always know this. The church I grew up in actually prayed for humility all the time, which maybe says a lot about the church I grew up in. And so I remember when I moved out, I was still praying, Lord, keep me humble, keep me humble. And I was about to lead worship at an event. I'd led worship one year, 1995. It went really well. Those of you that have been around a while know I started that in front of 5,000 people. I really pushed the boat out and I started with a rap. I've written one rap in my life. So I'm not a, a, a rap artist. But this year I, I sang a rap and it went brilliantly. 1995. The event was called Revival 95. 
And I remember doing it and everyone applauded and we entered it. It was just a bit of fun. Well, in Revival 96, the guys who were leading it, who in those days all used to sit on the platform and oversee the service, they said to me, have you got another rap? Well, I only ever had one rap. But I'd stayed up. I remember getting up very early in the morning to try and write another rap. God keep me humble. It went so well last year. And I got up. And all I can tell you is, in front of 5,000 people, it was an unmitigated disaster, darling. It was awful. For one, the, the band started in a minor key. That wasn't a good start. And I started with, here we are, the saints that were coming alive at Revival 95. And of course, it wasn't 95, it was 96. I got the year wrong. The musicians weren't hooked in with me at all. I just died on stage. And one of the leaders of it took me apart, took me apart, really did take me apart. Afterwards, came up to me and we had a coffee together. And he was Welsh and he just looked me in the eye and he said, tonight, boyo, you were rubbish. So he said to me, I'll never forget it, you were rubbish. I said, I'll be better next time. He said, you might be, but it won't be here. So they took me off stage. They didn't allow me to lead worship for the times that were set because it had been so bad. And he was right. I survived. I'm still here. But I went around that campsite, this was in Bilth Wells, and I felt so humiliated. Because everyone knew, even the ones that came up to me and said, you were great tonight. Because Christians are like that, aren't they? Let's be honest. I don't get, I don't know, some people come to me on a Sunday and say, you were brilliant today, and I think, you're lying. I know I wasn't. I know when I'm good and when I'm bad. Well, at least when he gets to my stage, I knew, I knew. But people come and say, you were great tonight, Steve. I was rubbish. But I felt like that big. I was humiliated. They did put me on, just, just so you don't all feel sorry for me. They put me on at the end of the week, and it was, it was okay. So they had me back again as a kind of... Uh, Let's give the guy another chance. My point is this, you don't need to pray for humility. It's a choice. It's a choice. And I think, and I only had this revelation this morning as I was mulling over this, I think if we get the humility bit right, we will automatically do the other three areas. If my people who come up men will humble themselves, guess what, if you're humble, you want to seek the face of God. You don't want your face to be what's the most important thing. You want the face of God. If you're humble, guess what? You will turn from your wicked ways because you realize trying to live in your own strength is never the way to live. The humble seek the face of the Lord. The humble realize they can't do it on their own. On their own, has only got the, their own strength has only got them into a mess. So they need to repent and turn towards God and ask Him for help. So the humble will repent. And the humble, if they know what they are doing, will trust God to heal their land. If my people called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then he will heal them. Humility is a choice. So what is, and how can we help grow? I think I've put in your notes this, this title, How to 12 Ways to Grow and show humility. Some of these are gonna be one-liners, all right? So don't, when I say 12, you think 12, and we've only got an hour left, then how's you gonna get just one-liners, but some will be longer. Number one, it's 
what I said. Confess your sins to God the moment you realize it. I honestly do not believe we need to live sin-conscious lives, as in that we're going around all the time fearing, am I going to sin, am I going to sin, am I going to sin? I think we need to live Christ-conscious lives, and whilst we live Christ-conscious lives and Spirit-filled lives, the Holy Spirit will convict us when we sin. And therefore, therefore we confess. But can I say, I gave you a model last week, I've been doing it again this week in my prayer life, and there is a moment in there which I do confess, but rather than just making it a one-off in the day, how about asking the Holy Spirit, whenever I sin, would you convince me? Would you nudge me? Would you tell me? And then immediately, immediately, when you know you've done it, confess it. The humble will do that. Number two, humility is forgiving quickly. Now hear me on this. I honestly believe the number one signal, sign of a mature follower of Jesus Christ is how quickly they forgive. Remember Jesus on the cross. He's been tortured. He's been crucified. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He forgives them. Before he's, he's actually had his last breath, he forgives them. If you carry grudges, you're probably struggling with pride. I had a situation earlier this year, now this year hasn't been very long, where I was going to be speaking on this platform with someone who people had told me had said some really nasty things about me. And they were years ago. Some really hurtful things. And we'd never had the opportunity to discuss them. And for a while, I knew I held unforgiveness in my heart. And this was the first time I'd seen them for a long time. And I thought, how, how will I react? How will I respond? Because I tried to deal with it in my heart. I forgive them. And it was more than once. Do you know when I saw them, and I'm not saying this to... <laughs> this, this is the problem when you speak about humility. The moment you say, I've mastered humility, is the moment you just lost it. But all I felt was love. In fact, I knew they'd been through a tough time as a family. And I wondered what that must be like. And my heart just melted. I had nothing absolutely nothing of unforgiveness there and you know what I felt clean I felt clean and then I thought to myself why did you even hold unforgiveness in your heart never mind for six minutes or six months why did you even hold unforgiveness in your heart because it never harmed them it only ever harmed me how quickly can you forgive? Humility is forgiving quickly. How about this one, number three? When you're treated unfairly, oh, this is a tough one, ready? Be quiet and patient and don't retaliate. When people attack you. See, where I'm from, the, the Wirral, which is the posh side of Merseyside, our humor is very cutting. It can be. Quick response. So when someone says something that cuts me down, my automatic fleshly response, humor-wise, is to use humor to cut them down. And then I think I'm clever clogs because I've cut them down. It's pride. It stinks. 
And you notice it in other people when it's in yourself. That's the truth. You notice it in other people when, you, when it's in yourself. If you are a person, I wrote this in my notes and I'm not going to look at anyone when I say this. If you are a person that always wants to win the argument, you might find you have a pride problem. Selah. That means pause and consider. The Bible said he was perfect in every way. And he came before his accusers. But like a lamb before its shearers is dumb, he didn't speak a word. Oh, Jesus. I want to be like you. So they're accusing him of stuff. You did this. You did that. You are this. You and he kept dumb. Why didn't you speak up? The Bible says in the old authorized version, he spake not a word. Come on, Jesus, tell him who you are. No, 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 no. I think we're most like Christ when we forgive quickly and we're most like Christ when we absorb attacks. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. That's humility. Number four, when you look for ways to serve others instead of expecting to be served. That's humility. Hello? I love our teams. I like the new red, you don't have to like them. The new red t-shirts, I think they look really nice, pretty, looking good, looking good. We have teams that are serving every week, volunteering. And we need them. But part of me would like to just abandon them <laughs> and say, let's not have a team that welcomes because we're all so welcoming, you never have to wear a t-shirt in order to welcome. Do you know who are the people that arrive early to services? Most sundown, I don't mean on teams, I mean of us general masses. New people, visitors. Visitors are rarely late. You ever notice that? One of my things that I love, again, it sounds like I'm blowing my own trumpet, God forgive me for this. And others of you do this. I love coming into this auditorium because it's empty about 925, 926, 927, 928, 929, any advance on 929, 930, yes, we're still going. And at 931, whoa, where did they all come from? I know some of you aren't like that. But it's such a pleasure sometimes to walk up and down and meet people I've never met before. Now I know, I'm the pastor here, I've got a vested interest, blah, blah. I just like people. And I want you to like people. You don't have to have a t-shirt to serve. Oh, by the way, we need more members on all the teams. We really do. Don't ever walk in and think we've got it all together. Oh, no, we haven't. No, we haven't. Sometimes like a swan with the legs underneath, it looks graceful on the top. But how about serving others instead of expecting to be served without a badge? But that's humility. Number five. When you don't fight to get the best seat or the best table or the best parking spot, that's humility. Number six, when you intentionally are friends or you befriend people who have no status who, or who can't help you or who are overlooked by society, that's humility where you intentionally build relationships and build friendships with people who don't, can't and won't serve you. Here's the challenge this week. In the playground, if you're at school, in the... the, the um, staff room, if you're at work, whatever. The one person that is often on their own and neglected, for whatever reason that could be, how about going and becoming a friend? 
Because that's the kind of thing Jesus does. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for tea. Uh-oh. Zacchaeus, tax collector, lowest of the low, ragabond, thief. I'm coming to your house. The Bible says he fixed his stare on Zacchaeus. He looked him in the eye and said, I'm coming to your house. Why don't we have the least and the lowliest? That's humility. I remember God dealing with me on this one when I used to have a proper job 150 years ago and I worked at Unilever Research. I was an electrical engineer and my job was to work with the scientists who together we would build pilot plants for all kinds of experiments. And one of my favorite jobs was when I was working, I didn't know what it was and I don't know what it is to this day, all right? It was called a Weisenberg Rheogoniometer. Some of you will know exactly what that is, and it might be ancient now, but that's what it was. And I used to work on this Weisenberg Rheogoniometer. My job was to get the power to it, and if there were any electronics that failed on it, to try and find what was wrong. And there was with the scientists. And there was this one scientist called David. And David was a genius, an absolute genius. But David struggled with social interaction. David actually struggled with his own cleanliness. And the mocking that went on of David, you can't imagine. And I had to work there, and so I was very civil. We were professional. But I never really spoke to him any depth. And I remember one night, it was a dream. I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw David with hands lifted up, and I saw a group of us all standing, looking and pointing and laughing at David. And the problem was, I was in the middle of the group. And I'm laughing at David. And the scripture in the dream came, which was, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And I was convicted. I went into work that day. I used to be part of a panel that was a sniff test panel. It was Unilever, so they used to give you soap to wash, and then you go in in the morning, you get a clean shirt, and they'd sniff under your arms, honestly, to check out how the soap was reacting to you. So I got my clean shirt, clean tie on. I got to wear a tie in those days, and I, I went, and I found David. And I spoke to David. Do you know what I found? David was a believer. David was, a, David was my brother. And I had stood apart and aloof. And at lunchtime, he used to sit on his own because no one wanted to sit with him. In fact, it was hard to have a conversation with David. And I decided, like you see on the movies sometimes, I'm going to go and have my dinner, my lunch with David. I don't know whatever happened to David. I've left there many years ago. I haven't kept contact. But we used to have, here's this for a religious word, eh? Fellowship. We had something in him called to something in me. Oh, no, say it again. Someone in me called to someone in him. The Holy Spirit that said, we're part of the same family. We belong together. Dave, you're my brother. And I was so convicted. I'd like to say I learned my lesson. I've never done that since. Where I've, But I've done it again and again and again. And the Spirit has to remind me. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Number seven, here's this one. This, this isn't an easy list, is it? You're not all going to be dancing out with this list, <laughs> but it could change your world. 
Number seven, humility is being respectful to authorities in your life, even the bad ones. Number eight, let's get a bit more practical. Humility is when you pick up rub rubbish wherever you find it. Number nine, my dad taught me this one and I hadn't realized I passed it on to my son because he was telling me the other week that that's what I said to him and I'd forgotten. Humility is when you leave a public toilet cleaner than when you found it. Hello? Do you go to the loo here and think, well, there's cleaners, they'll clean it. Well, this isn't very spiritual, Steve. Your poo is spiritual. All of you look down then, I know. What, did you mention poo? Yeah. Why? Because all things are spiritual. And what you do when you go to the toilet, God doesn't turn away from. And if you make a mess in there, cleaning up after. Now, this isn't, I don't know what our toilets are like. I've, no one's come to me and said, could you mention, please clean the loos? No, I, no one said that. Maybe we all do it. When I was at Willow Creek one year, I remember going into the toilets and I'm going to the sink and they have paper um, napkins that are under the, the, the shelf. And this young guy, he was about 12 years of age. I noticed him, he washed his hands. He got water everywhere, soap everywhere. And then he took a few more paper towels. I know not very eco-friendly, but he then cleaned the whole of the surface where he'd made a mess. And then he went to the next one where the guy had just left a mess and he cleaned that. And this guy was about 12. And I remember thinking, if that's the kind of church they build here, count me in. It was great preaching as well. And the singing was good too, the worship. But it, I thought they're making disciples. He just cleaned around him. How about that one, hey? When you leave a public toilet cleaner than when you found it. That's humility. Two, three more. When you admit your weaknesses and your sins to a few safe people. Did you hear the last part? Admit, admit your sins to a few safe people. Just don't do it to everyone. I think I've told you the story before here when I was driving along with a lady when I was in my early 20s. And I was giving her a lift home from a, a, a connect group, a small group. I'm just driving along in my little mini Clubman estate, which my mum and dad had got for me. And she's in the front seat. We didn't have anybody else with us, mistake. And she said to me, as we're driving along, I've been having lustful thoughts about you. And I didn't know what to say. So I just remember saying, that's nice. What, what else did you say? And we, and we didn't, we, <laughs> that's nice. We didn't speak for the rest of that car journey. In fact, if I'm honest, I never spoke to that woman ever again. She didn't need to confess it to me, but she might have needed to confess it to some others. I'm struggling in this area and have a conversation. That's humility, because all of us have weaknesses. Would anyone who hasn't got a weakness please stand up? Weaknesses. How about this, number 11, when you always speak well of others, you never use put-downs, you never use put-downs, you never stoop to the level of people who put you down. That's humility. So we're in this leaders meeting this week and I was getting annoyed. I was getting annoyed at the pride in the room. I could smell it. And I knew why I could smell it, but I didn't dawn on me till afterwards because it was in me as well. And these guys were making some comments. So what did I do what I said before? I used some clever comebacks, didn't I? Some really clever little comments that made them feel awkward. 
And I felt good. And I've been thinking about it as I've been. I thought, that was pride. You could smell it in them because it's the smell you're used to in yourself. And the clever comeback. Why don't we, why don't I just always speak well of others? Never use put downs. Help me, Jesus. Number 12. Here's the last one. When you pray for your enemies. The whole point of this message is simply this. If we're to see healing and restoration in our own lives, if we're to see healing and restoration in the world, in our families, we've got to come with a different spirit. We can't come in the same spirit with arrogance or aggression. We've got to come an opposite way. And God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, the humble seek the face of God. Not the miracle, but the God of the miracle. The humble turn from their wicked ways. They confess their sins. If my people, those who belong to God, shall humble themselves, seek his face and pray, then we will find he hears from heaven. Turning from wicked ways simply means forgetting God. If we don't forget God, keep him central. Then there are three promises. He'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive their sins and heal their land. Father, we pray for our nation at this time. We pray that we'll come, we'll have politicians somehow and that we would pray for them that would come with a spirit of humility. That we'll confess where we are wrong and that we'll see healing in the land, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.